This is a show about what rules us. Instead of conflict or force, we propose grace. Tolerance is good. Forgiveness is better. But grace is ideal. Grace is empathy and favor for someone who said or done something we don't like. It's the attempt to understand someone instead of simply condemning them to enemy status. How could this approach solve social problems? And what's the basis for this view? We explore that here on Gracearchy. Our sponsor is a group built around an ethic we admire, the Zero Aggression Principle. Check out the Zero Aggression Principle at www.zeroaggressionproject.org. Jim, I want to bottom line this right up front. So listeners know that our call to action is at least 83% different from all of those they've heard on this topic. Fair enough? Yes, that sounds fair. 83%. I, I love it. We, we went to the labs to get that number. We went to the labs. Go we got it. out the calculators, man. Yes, yes. <laughs> so the, the grace we need here isn't necessarily about Brittany Griner, although her coming home just sort of opened this can of worms that's our standard American response these days. That's what we want to explore, right? Yes. Let's talk about that. We have a chance to talk about that story. Even though I think, you know, full disclosure, we're a bit late. Um, I was traveling last week and we would have recorded this episode last week. We were already discussing it, but we uh, it's still pertinent because uh, people get a chance to see how we apply grace to this story and end up with a different set of lessons that I think are, are quite valuable. Uh, things that are being overlooked in the, in the discussion of her story and her coming home right now. Yeah, you've noticed that too. It's like whenever we have a situation, all of a sudden it just becomes more of the same. It doesn't matter what the details of the situation were, it just turns into more of the same. So let's start out right away with something that you're never gonna hear anywhere else, which is a profound debt of gratitude to the people that made this possible, whatever their role was, whatever their motivation was, Brittany's home. And for that, I'm grateful. Likewise. Um, and in fact, I would go further, Bill, and say we should be happy anytime a political prisoner or a nonviolent victimless offender comes back to us. And, and this is really a different way of thinking here. We should be moving in, in a grace model. We should be moving away from a punishment model. And in Brittany's case, I am hard pressed to figure out whose pocket she picked or whose leg she broke. And anytime someone is in the, a position such as hers, where her crime was that she had the wrong item on her at that time, that is not, that, that's not a punishable offense. And prison really should be, if we're being, uh, if we're doing things properly, which is we should be setting up a restitution or a restoration system where we make victims as whole again as we possibly can. And we try to create healing within the community. She shouldn't have been in the dock in the first place. She shouldn't have been in prison in the first place. None of that should have happened to her. So anytime someone is released from those circumstances, if your position is one of grace, then you should be celebrating that, she, that, it, that a prisoner was freed. This is liberating the prisoners is, is a, of biblical value completely agree. And as long as we talk about the victimless nature of this crime, which took place in Russia, I think it's valid to point out that it had the TSA stop Brittany with a bit of cannabis oil, they would have taken the same action 
that the Russian security folks did, not for the same reasons, but perhaps uh, we, we can't miss that. There's a federal law that says you can't fly with pot. And if you try, uh, you could be, uh, I don't wanna say jailed, but you could certainly be arrested and possibly prosecuted, right? Yeah, there's a, a legalism that's at work here. And you know, if you go into the scripture, legalism, the apostle Paul deals with this very specific directly, the law gets in the way of grace. It interferes with grace and there's, it's not like how good we are. And, and in the same context here, why is there a law? Like, think about this for just a moment. Like literally, why is there a law that you cannot take cannabis or marijuana or heroin or aspirin or a hoagie sandwich? Well, I, I can get that one. It might, might, other people around you might not like the smell of it, for example. But like, if you've got something in your luggage, what does it matter what you've got there? Like, that's the issue. Like, you know, what was she going to be able to do to harm other people by bringing that possession? Diamonds, gold, like what names things there? Like, there's a whole variety of things that should have been bringable, to coin a word, onto the plane. They have nothing to do with the travel experience of, of anybody else on that plane. Yeah, I, there's an overreach to this law that's sort of, ugly in a way, and, and the consciousness of the nation, at least in America, is kind of shifting now. We've got Biden releasing, well, not releasing, pardoning all the federally imprisoned, you know, <laughs> which doesn't really result in anything. It turns out there how were How many no... <laughs> different exceptions can you carve into something? Do you know, know how many people, this made big national news, National right? News. We were supposed to all be, and I did, I exulted, we talked about it here. I exulted in the fact that these pardons occurred. This was fantastic news except there haven't been one yet, not one. And they don't apply after the order. It was for everybody in the past that fits this narrow constraint. You ever see Steve Martin's movie, The Jerk? Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Love Do you that. remember the scene where he's working at the carnival and he says, you know, uh, everything below this line and above yes. this line, uh, between here and there, the pencils, but not the erasers, right? Yes. <laughs> this is, that's the policy that was uh, elucidated here. It was sold as like, oh, we have come so far. We are going to release the prisoners who are there for nonviolent drug offenses. But they wrote it in such a way that no one's included, not even right. the pencils. Right. It just sounds good. But there's nobody that actually is pardoned by this act, right? Okay. So I want to point out that this is the height of hypocrisy for the president of the United States and the vice president of the United States. Let's not leave her out here. She was a prosecutor in chief. She literally lied people into prison, covered up evidence. We know this. But she was confronted about this in the debates. We know that she was a big-time drug warrior. And the president of the United States was involved in constructing a lot of the present law that we have on prisons, on parole, on predators, on drugs, on federal sentencing guidelines. He's been there all along and he's been front and center in this. So he's caused a lot of this problem. So, so for him to be standing there back in the eighties, he's part of the, you know, this is your brain on drugs movement. Uh, he's at least, well, he's been in the Senate since what the late seventies, late seventies. Yes. And he was on the judiciary committee for much of that time chaired it for even a while. And yes, he's very much involved in these issues. He's a part of the problem. And when he announced that he was going to be part of the solution here a couple of months ago, uh, we all got very excited 
right? This was a huge leap forward, you know, but it hasn't materialized. Not one single person, as I'm sitting here talking to you, has been released as a result of that. It was completely oversold. It was political bullshit. So as, as long as we're on this topic, president has the power, governors have the power. Why are not these victimless crimes being, or I don't I can't call them victimless criminals, but why, why are not these people who have been locked up for no reason not walking free right now? Politics. It's one, I mean, he did actually, we've come far enough that he felt he was going to gain some temporary advantage in the fall electoral campaign by saying that he was doing this. Um, but not enough that he's going to actually take the risk. Almost every governor and president has been scared since Michael Dukakis ran for president and he got uh, hung for uh, allowing a furlough program to exist during his term as governor that resulted in Willie Horton going out on a murder spree, a two-state murder spree. Uh, no one wants to take the risk of being the person who let out somebody who would have been in prison otherwise and then being labeled soft on crime. And so I, I, I think they have a very hard time doing this, but it really is up to us. Like how much pressure are we putting? We're going to, we got to get into this issue a bit more. As a matter of fact, we need to talk about why Brittany gets to the front of the line, for example. Right. And that goes right to this whole political decision-making aspect of the free Brittany initiative. Yes. So every question I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to throw something, a real curveball at you here. This is going to surprise you. Okay. You ready? Brace, brace yeah, yourself. Bring it on. Every politician makes political decisions. Nah. They don't make scientific decisions. They don't make ethical decisions. They don't make moral decisions. They don't make factual decisions. They don't make economic decisions. Those are all secondary or tertiary to whatever they're doing right now. The main thing is always political. Politics rules. And so Brittany gets to the front of the line because Brittany's a celebrity. Brittany is the... Uh, She's just the right type of person to be in this setting where, okay, let's, let's have a discussion about, you know, bringing her home. We're not going to have a discussion about a whole host of other people coming home who are in prison there or elsewhere. That's, they're not, they don't have the profile that she's got. She had profile and that allowed her story to be told and talked about and, and the right people to rally around that. And then the president feels motivated to act and does something and, and cares enough about it that he takes time off from work to show up to meet her at the airport because it's a political decision. And so the flip side of that is if you have somebody that you're thinking of and you say, well, they shouldn't be in prison either, you have to figure out how to make that person high enough profile that they would then get that kind of attention for the president of the United States. That's no small task. She has a big head start because of the fact that she's in the WNBA. That's huge, right? She had the right profile to do that. Not everybody has that. You and I don't have that, right? I'm a little bit too short and uh, to, to play basketball, right? So I'm it's not going to work out for crazy. me. It's, it's, a little bit too old, right? Yeah, it's not going to happen. But having that wealth of that fame made that possible for her. And that's how political decision-making works. If you want your person to get to the front of that line, you have to do the things to make that story painful to the politicians and rewarding if they act on it. So this leads right into the next thing, which is if the decision is all about grandstanding for whatever cause or purpose you might be, then the immediate knee-jerk reaction from the opposite team is to 
accuse you of bias and just all the other things that go along with have nothing to do with gratitude, have nothing to do with grace, but just continue the conflict. Yes. But bias so cuts both ways, man. Oh, it does. It does. And and I think this brings us into the Paul Whelan story. Yeah. Um, first off, I just want to say, like, I'm going to offend a lot of people here right now. This is the most offensive moment in the whole show. You ready? If you posted a meme about why Paul Whelan instead of Brittany Griner, there's a real strong chance you're full of it. There's a real strong chance that the that a week before this pardon came down and Brittany came home, you had no earthly clue who Paul Whelan was. And I'm going to go one step further. There's a very high likelihood that even after you posted, you still didn't know who Paul Whelan was. And one more layer, just to show you, I'm going to bet in most of the cases of people who made an issue of this, they won't care next week. When Christmas comes and Christmas goes, they are not going to say anything more about Paul Whelan. I had to look him up, man. I wanted to know. And uh, so did I. And, I, and, and it's good. And for his family to step into this and to try to use it to elevate his profile, bully on them. This is yes. the right move for them to do. And I'm glad that they were able to do that. Good for them. But all kinds of people said, well, you know, it shouldn't be Brittany. It should be Paul. We'll get to that in a second. They didn't know who he was. They're being manipulated by a media agenda setting system. And this is, this is really horrible. This is the exact antithesis of grace and probably the most important point we're going to make today. So the, the media agenda setting uh, step one. And the way it works is be, if a story is at the top of the fold, as they used to say, so it's on the front page of the newspaper. If the story is on the, the, the three minute radio broadcast that they do at the top of the hour where they're giving you the news, if the story is in a high position on Yahoo and Google in the news feed that you get, those types of stories change the discussion. And one of the places that they go to first is they go to the TV networks and they start talking about those same, same things and they go to talk radio. I, I know this from experience. I worked in talk radio. I, you, you look at what's in the headlines and we learned when I was running Downsize DC that the headlines got us the most attention. So it starts with media agenda setting and everybody jumps onto the bandwagon and gets into that. Well, what happens when it's in the media agenda? Well, the media cares about conflict and ratings. And so they try to find the, the conflict between the sides. They try to design two nice sides to combat one another, and they force them to fight. Uh, they push them together into, into combat. This is the conflict machine in action. And this is the conflict machine is a better term for politics. It is how politics actually works. We are drawn into a drama, a script that has winner, that has our, the good guys and bad guys, depending on your perspective. And we are supposed to fight with one another until there's a, a resolution to this conflict. And the, the media is happy to oblige, uh, like every like a soap opera, when we are tired of this story, uh, they'll move to a new one. They'll invent a new one, and then we'll have conflict over that. And this is how we handle or make social decisions on a broad basis across society. Here's what the conflict machine is not. While it's so busy dividing us, while it's so busy producing tribalism, while it's so busy causing people to begin to hate each other, it is anti-grace. It is the opposite of grace. The number one grace point for today actually is leave the conflict machine. 
And that means maybe turning off the television. So one of the things, you know, Paul Whalen, we just discussed him a moment ago. People didn't know who he was, but there was another side of that conflict engine that said, wait a minute, we have to have a solution or a substitute because Brittany isn't legitimate. She's not sufficient. So we're going to offer Paul Whalen as the alternative. And this is all part, people got mo uh, motivated to say that Brittany didn't earn or deserve it. There's Grace absent, right? She has to earn it. So she doesn't deserve it. And Paul Whalen does deserve it. He's the worthy substitute. He's earned the right to come home. He is more uh, deserving of that award. So they, they couldn't have the grace to celebrate that Brittany came home. They had to make it Brittany versus Paul. And most people didn't know who Paul was in the first place. And so you could see everybody getting sucked into the conflict machine. And grace gets left aside. Completely left aside. And both of these people are worthy Americans whatever their points of view, whatever their history, it doesn't need to be about their points of view and their history in order to make this a grace-based transaction. Now, of okay, course, we're talking but, about Russia, so we can't control that. But Okay, but I, you, I did look up, you did look up Paul, right? I did. Yeah. I did too, okay? How, how many people know, for example, because we were talking about worthiness here, right? Yeah. That he was, con that he was convicted in a military court-martial dishonorably discharged from the Marine Corps, $10,000 worth of fraud. Yep. Even his own family, it turned out, didn't know this. He covered that and kept that secret from people. So there's all kinds of people saying, well, you know, it doesn't seem like he could have possibly been a spy, but his family didn't know that he'd been dishonorably discharged. It's um, not something you really like broadcast. No, and I, I don't blame him. And I'm not suggesting, I want to be clear because I'm not piling on him here. I'm piling on the people who got on the bandwagon who were arguing that one person was more deserving than the other and they're not aware of a set of facts. Yep. He was convicted of spying, receiving state secrets uh, after a short trial entirely behind closed doors. We just talked a few minutes ago about what would happen if she, if Brittany went through the TSA here. Well, guess what? We have a Patriot Act and FISA amendments and, and courts. We have a whole bunch of things that are done without you being able to see it in the light of the day. And during the global war on terror, we were our government was engaged in what was called uh, extraordinary rendition. We would hand over people to be tortured because it wasn't legal to do it under our law. So we would hand it over these people over to another government where torture wasn't uh, as big an issue so they could torture the people. We have a whole bunch of things that are done in secret. We're not allowed to be told about it. And the idea that some of the Russia is unique in this state, they're very, very sneaky. They, they, they do things in secret. I mean, come on. This is this is how governments work. The, uh, the spy trial was heard in secret. We have we have military tribunals. They were part of the National Defense Authorization Act, not once but twice in the previous twenty years. That that American civilians could be put in a in a, in a military tribunal under certain circumstances where yep. normal rights of habeas yep. corpus don't exist, where a public uh, a public uh, trial doesn't exist, right? Where certain types of evidence can't be presented. By the way, if Edward Snowden were to come back to the United States today, he would be tried uh, and, and he would not be able to sit to offer some of the items that are already publicly disclosed out in the public in his own defense because own they're defense. still classified as secrets and due to national security, they wouldn't be able to be used to tell his story. 
And so there's, he wouldn't even, you know, people say Hillary Clinton had the audacity to say he should come back and face the music. He, we could put, give him a fair trial. There's no way in hell they could. So we're sitting here throwing all these stones at Russia. Oh, Russia's so bad. They've got this guy locked up. He was found with a, uh, what was a USB in his pocket? He yeah, had, yeah, the US drive was like and he's got an extraordinary story about a wedding that he was there to attend that he actually wasn't at when he got arrested and he should have already been on the way there and he gets caught with this item in his pocket. Now, I, listen, I want to be really clear. I don't want, I, I want him to have his life back too. Okay. But there's stuff we don't know about this story. And if you're going to start playing this game, you want to play this game with me about who deserved to come home more. D deserve isn't the issue. But you certainly can't make a case that he was more deserving of it than Britney. Britney did nothing wrong. She didn't pick anyone's pocket. She didn't break anyone's leg. And what I'm that's metaphorical. That's Thomas Jefferson's word. Okay. He said, didn't pick my pocket or break my leg and refer to people's religious choices. It means that things that are not affecting other people are none of your business. And we have to revisit the media and the conflict machine one more time because this kind of diverse uh anxious ugly infighting can only take place among an uninformed public and these days oh. it's like you read a headline and you think you've got the you've got chapter and verse on the whole situation and then you go out there and you broadcast it and the media plays on you if you do that the media yes. uses you to reinforce their advertising budget so what we just did, went through here in discussing his situation, the Marine conviction, the, the Marine dishonorable discharge and conviction, um, and some of these other details gets to the point where I bet that most of the people who posted the meme saying that he should come home were not aware of this information. And so there's like this confidence because other people will start doing it too. And you know, you're not supposed to like Brittany, which we'll get to in just a second, that you have a sense of knowledge. And I'm going to call it the false sense of knowledge. You have this confidence in your own ability to assess things that is not borne out by actual knowledge of the situation. So the way that you and I met was through a, a, a temporary aborted project called the Exit Network. And the most significant thing I did during the time that I was there is we did an investigative piece on the use of hydroxychloroquine in... Uh, as an or as part of an early treatment cocktail, and the the government's war on HCQ that subsequently followed. Now, this was if you looked at this in kind of a fractal nature, like all the different parts of COVID, this was a tiny, tiny, tiny speck of the entire COVID debate that was going on yeah. over the last couple of years. Yeah, my uh, colleague and I, uh, Joanna Blaine spent 90 hours combined working on that story. Now, some of it was for the writing. That was actually the easiest part. We read the medical journals. We followed trains of evidence. We made sure we had the timeline correct. We attempted to falsify what we were doing. We eventually reached a point. We ended up putting out a 4,000 word story because we were like, we cannot make this any shorter right now. We don't have the ability to finish reading all the studies, make all the final conclusions. We just had to cut a line because, but we had clearly not been able to falsify uh, the idea that HCQ worked. And then there's the question of why that would happen and what the effects of it were. And we estimated the effects to be pretty dramatic. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because when I was done with that exercise, 
and this is 2021. So it's not that long ago. And I've been at a career of this for, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming near 30 years now. I've been doing this for 20 over, well over 25 years, 27, 28. I'm somewhere in that range full time. I've been working on these kinds of issues and, and following all of this stuff a lot longer than that. And what I can say to you is I was, I never felt so small, so puny, so uninformed in my life. When I realized how bottomless the well of information was on just this one teeny tiny topic, I realized how often we are required or put into position of having to make decisions where we don't have much knowledge at all. But there's a long, that humility is, I think, necessary to grace. The false sense of knowledge might lead us away from it. And in this particular case, it did. So you had the right wing saying that we should follow the rules. That's, I was, Brittany was in, she's in this trouble because she put herself there and she didn't do what they said, right? But the real motive here could have been something like, she's not really, it doesn't look like she's a part of our tribe. She's a black WNBA player. And it might even be possible some of these people think Putin is, you know, trying to bring back culture and restore things. There are people that actually believe that Putin is, is uh, um, very pro-morality, very even pro-Christian. And then on the flip side, and by the way, I just want to be clear. Let me finish up this point. They should be conscious stricken by their attitude. It's, it, it is not grace. There's no mercy in that. There, it, it is not graceful. Then there's the, the other side, which did exactly the opposite because she might look like she's a part of their tribe. And because they've learned to hate Russia of late, she automatically deserves a pardon, right? Regardless of what the circumstances of the case might be. She suddenly becomes a hero and people start promoting this cause and they get involved in it. And I think there's some degree to which they should be embarrassed if that was their motive. The proper motive here is that she didn't do anything wrong. Her her being imprisoned was unjust. Even if you could find some degree of justice, which I think we've pretty much invalidated here today, that there was any justice in this, then Grace still called upon her to be able to come home. She should have been able to go back to her life. Even if you want to acknowledge this is a mistake, she still should, we still should be celebrating her coming back to life. So because we're not politicians, we can say this stuff. But what I want is to hear this from the highest level of our government. These charges are baseless. There was no reason for the imprisonment. She needs to come home. I and want I, I want the same thing you want. I really do. But I think that is wanting there's a degree to which there's almost a wanting too much there. Yeah, and, I, and, I, I, Jim, I admit it. And it's, I know it's not going to happen because, as we've said, decisions no, are political. Yeah, I mean, that's that's true. I'm thinking more about the fact that right now. This, the real lesson of the Brittany Griner story is how I respond to it. So when you step into a voting booth, you're not going to you're not going to change the election. If in fact, if the election came down to one vote, yours, they'd have a recount, and figure out a way to invalidate one of those votes or more. That's how it, the system literally works. You don't actually have much of a voice in a democratic system. And the more votes we're talking about, the bigger the office we're talking about, the people who actually have the ability to pardon, the higher it is, the harder it is to actually be relevant, to have a voice. You might have one on your block, 
You might have even one in your small town, but you're not necessarily going to have it. The, the bigger the level, the less likely you are to have much of a voice. And so what that means is that when you step into that booth and you vote, or you go out and you express your opinions on an issue, what matters most is your own personal integrity, your own conscience, who you are. You're making a statement to yourself and to your God, in my opinion, about who you are, or what side you want to stand on. And frequently the side we need to stand on is the hardest one to stand. If, if I don't engender any criticism for the things I've said here today, I'd probably have failed. Some people should be angry at what I said today. And so where I'm at on this and where I think, Bill, the grace point is, is how will I respond to this? Am I going to add to the conflict machine problem? Am I going to pick up a side that I haven't done my homework and research on? Am I going to say that someone else is unworthy? Am I going to pretend that I can pick up and throw the first stone? Or instead, will I choose to extend mercy and grace? 